This is Casual Babble. Hello, you beautiful individual. Welcome back to the show. My name is BC Babbles, and you're joining me again on Casual Babble, the delve into the culture of the young professional and the developing leader in the studio today. I am graced by the presence of Miss Nicole Madonna. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. I'm How so are you happy doing? To be here. Um, fantastic on a Saturday morning. Right? Oh, so good. Yeah. Nothing like Saturday morning. How was your yeah. week? Um, my week is busy. I am currently navigating overbooking myself. Okay. So. <laughs> Being busy is a blessing and a curse at the mm. same time. So it's been pretty busy. But And so you are the owner and creative director of Blue Lotus uh, Clinical and Consultation huh. Services. Yes. yes. I had that I had that really well prepared, then I sat down. I'm like, oh, there we go. It's, uh, but yes, it's okay. It's but it's it's <laughs> such a great uh, business that I looked into preparing for this interview with you today. You um and I and I love talking to entrepreneurs like you because you guys delve into certain areas, working with other developing leaders mm-hmm. that I think are so essential. And you just mentioned that, you know, you were, um, as an entrepreneur, learning how to navigate overbooking yourself. Yes. So let's delve into that a little bit okay. because because <laughs> I'm looking at you, I'm like, she's got it all put together. <laughs> I want to learn from her. But I, I love this, this, you know, you, that, and you mentioned this on your website that you're all still learning. Yes. So how yes. are you coming into this role? Um, but still navigating that, that booking yourself and allocating your time part. Yeah, I think, you know, I uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to go into private practice as a mental health provider was for freedom and flexibility. Mm-hmm. So I could have a little bit more, you know, say in, in what my week looks like. I can spare, I can, you know, share my time a little bit better as a mom and mm-hmm. as a friend and just also have my own downtime. Yeah. But I what I realized over the last couple of years of, being self-employed versus having someone else take care of all the taxes and mm-hmm. all the stuff is that there's this sort of scarcity mentality that comes up for me. And yeah. I know I'm not, I'm not alone in that. I, I know a lot of business owners that go through that as well. And so it's like when you're in that place and I'm a solo provider for my son, like um, income wise. So like in this place of like tension of, should I do more? Do I need more? And then I fall into this overbooking mm. space where I'm not even giving myself lunch or, you know, mm. breaks. Yeah. And it's become something that, you know, at first felt, I mean, not not terrible. If it, I mean, it's, it's like draining, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. But then when it's a whole month worth of no breaks and no downtime mm-hmm. and just hustling, then I realized that that's like was not the purpose of being self-employed. Right. right? Yeah. Like it was it was do less and make more, mm-hmm. and also have a more like work more of work life balance. Right. So I'm in the process now of taking a big step back and and sort of analyzing my business and my time and where I want to be directing energy mm-hmm. and trying to set goals that align with that. Um, once I'm engaged with a client, I'm not like breaking up with them just sure. Because, you know. So yeah. But I have, I used to not work on Mondays and now I've spread out some clients to Mondays because it was becoming more problematic to have mm-hmm. no time with clients Mondays and yeah. book everybody on the four days. So now I've spread myself out a little bit more. So yeah. it's actually feeling better. Yeah. And do you find that um, despite have learning to navigate that um, time allocation, that there's kind of a, a nice balance though, that you get to be the one in charge of 
choosing where the allocation goes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and the other piece for me when I started this mental health practice was um, being very intentional in the clients that I work with. Um, there's this, you know, reciprocal energy that happens in a therapy space. If you've never been to therapy, you mm-hmm. should try it once or twice. It's fine. Yeah. We don't bite. Um, but, you know, I really decided to focus this practice on um, I started it in summer, uh, the first summer of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so my focus was helping those of us in the mental health field and the medical field and educators who were still like who didn't get breaks. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of us could work at home. Right. Um, not that we didn't have our own stress and our own process, you know, mm-hmm. through that part of the pandemic, of course. Right. But I felt that I had this sort of this privilege to be doing my job at home and taking care of my child and making sure things were safe and mm-hmm. flowing. And many of us did not have that. Right. I mean, there were the first responders, there were the frontline workers. So I chose to focus my practice on serving other therapists, uh, medical providers and educators. Mm-hmm. Um, and about 80% of my clients are in those three fields right yeah. now, which was my intention. Mm-hmm. So, um, I myself have received therapy from a therapist who focused on helping therapists through compassion fatigue and burnout Yeah, and had such an amazing experience with someone who really just saw me for the whole person, not just the therapist who experiences things, yeah. um, which is a, a big difference. Um, so that was one of the reasons, too, that I felt like really inspired to create this practice and the space for other therapists. Yeah. And you've been involved in the sociology of workspaces for a while. Prior to Blue Lotus, you were overseeing um, interpersonal violence prevention. Yes. And so and I, I know it's a it's a more common topic of discussion today um, in in large workplaces. And but it didn't used to be, I feel like. So and what drew you in, would you say, initially into, you know what? Aside from the operations of a business, we need to make sure the the organizational organizational psychology yeah. of the of the institution also has to be in 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 league with everything. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the bulk of my career I spent working in higher education with um, predominantly with students, mm-hmm. but in my role with the interpersonal violence prevention coordinator, I. I wore a lot of different hats. Yeah. One of them was direct student work. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was serving on different committees and groups and being in spaces that survivors of those things didn't really have say or voice in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always tried to listen to the students and their needs when they were coming to me to talk about the crisis and to talk about how they experienced it and who who and what was helpful on campus to help them move through it and take that feedback back to spaces where they were not in. Yeah. Um, Because really it's them that we need to listen to and not just assume. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the ethical dilemmas that come from that, right? Because when you work for a big institution or Mm -hmm. corporation, we have to figure out ways to abide by and stay in the lines and -hmm. then also figure out workarounds. Yeah that can create that sense of your your employees and staff and students feeling like they're seen and heard mm-hmm. and that you're actually taking what they're saying and wanting for their own safety or sense of emotional you know support and doing something about it. Yeah. And in previ- previously in 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 l- learning how to operate on that line would you say um more or less do you, have you ever experienced pushback? To, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and yeah. So, so comparing that to, comparatively to not getting pushback and, and getting more leeway, which one would you say you've experienced more of in your line of profession? 
Um, probably pushback. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think when we look at the institution of higher education, just because that's my, where a lot of my experience was, yeah. um, it is so aligned with a power over model. Mm -hmm. And then more recently has become more of a corporate business model. Yeah versus what maybe it used to be where it was more of a space for creative energy and, you know, resistance, dissent, mm -hmm. you know, you could, it, you could have space to kind of, as a student, even just to, to advocate for yourself or push back or, um, so I think the way in which it's set up is such that it's really difficult to step outside of the lines and the boxes that yeah. are set up. Um, in that kind of power over dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I definitely, um, I mean, one of the tenets of social work is advocacy. And I think throughout my career, I've been a social worker in different capacities for about 22 years. And I think throughout my career, I've learned to figure out how to find the voice that's going to be the most helpful mm -hmm. and not also talk over the needs of the people I'm trying to help. Yeah. Um, which is a delicate balance. Um, and I mean, as a white identified therapist, predominantly serving communities of color, I also need to be very mindful of the fact that I'm not here to save them. I'm not here to take care of them mm -hmm. because they are doing fine by themselves. Yeah. So how do you then join and collaborate? Mm -hmm. Um, especially if I am a, in spaces that they are not. Yeah. So to make sure that everybody gets heard in a way that's helpful versus harmful. Right. And so it's so you put yourself in the position where you're kind of the purposeful, not obstacle, but you are you are kind of this divider between opposing forces in a sense. So what what advice would you have for anyone who's wanting to enter a similar avenue of mm -hmm. uh, activity and um, professional relations with institutions and students? What kind of preparation do you did you have or did you realize you should have had moving mm -hmm. into that kind of space? I th think one of the things that I, I really needed to let go of was the fact that there's no book or manual about it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there are many, obviously, you can read and yeah. about inclusivity and advocacy and all of that. And I think we should read the voices of the people in the front lines of that over all the decades of movements and things like that. And you have to be able to create a space for yourself that feels the most comfortable so that you can elevate your voice in mm -hmm. a way that, you know, we don't all need to necessarily be on the front line of a march. We can be doing something on the sidelines yeah. that is a different effectiveness, but equally as helpful mm -hmm. versus harmful. I think the biggest thing that I needed to just unlearn was that, saviorism piece. Yeah. Like I'm not here to take over. I had to like really learn how to not mm -hmm. engage in that anymore. And I'd be lying to, if I said it didn't come up at times. Sure. Yeah. At this point, I'm able to press pause long enough to know that that's what it is mm -hmm. and then shift gears. Yeah. So I think um, a lot of the work I've done in the anti-racism and anti-gender um, violence space has been really helpful with mm -hmm. that. Um, and just really listening. Yeah. Um, and not falling into the trap of the saviorism and the silence mm. and always making sure that something is getting pushed forward yeah. in a way that is helpful. I think in order to do that, we have to be willing to do it, yeah. which may sound obvious, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's a lot of fear that happens in institutions, mm -hmm. right? Like there were certainly moments where I 
spoke up in you know staff meetings or these committee meetings with these high-ranking officials on campus and said something and immediately was like, oh my God, (laughs) 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 can't lose this job. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, and it needed to be said. Yeah. Um, So sometimes you're you're walking that Mm tightrope of that line. And quite frankly, my my privilege as a white woman allows me a little bit less tension in that space, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. I think my my black counterparts may feel differently about that because they may not have as much of a sense of safety in an institution that is, right. you know, dominated by white folks. So, mm-hmm. um, so there is there is truth to that, and it's something to you know keep in mind. Mm-hmm. You're not just you're not just an aspiring ally towards like your students or people who are in are in that space. It's also to our colleagues, right? Um, and so holding all of that at once and knowing that, you know, in that moment where you want to say something or do something or intervene, it may not come out perfectly. You yeah. got to release that. You just got to say what you got to say. Right. Because even if you don't say it perfectly, you can at least open up a door, mm-hmm. even if it's just a crack. Right. And and also maybe teach somebody something in that moment that they didn't think of before. Mm-hmm. Now, and touching a little bit on the the um, saviorism mindset you mentioned a couple times, is it? Would you say it's it's easy to fall into that mistakenly? And if so, what questions would you say you should ask yourself um, for any for other individuals moving into this particular kind of role? Mm-hmm. Where okay, let me make sure I'm not in this mindset because if I am, I should step out of it. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, in general, my profession of social work it was pretty much founded on this idea of saviorism, specifically white saviorism, because. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, the the initial social work communities were um, before it was like named social work or like, you know, people giving food boxes to yeah. immigrant communities mm-hmm. and things like that. So and, and typically it was white people doing that, white women in particular. Right. So that idea of saviorism is something that sort of permeated all of my education. Um, and most of us go into this field either either because we've had our own experiences and our own life journey and where we've been helped and we want to give it back, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. And, or we have this, like, I want to give to the greater good, Yeah, you know, and none of that is wrong per se. Right. Like I think it's one of these, it's, it it really is about checking our intention. So, so like what I ask myself is, um, is this going to be, helpful to the people I'm serving? Did I ask them questions? Right. Like, am I assuming I know what they need? Um, for example, I, I've spent the first half of my career speaking Spanish and working in predominantly Spanish language communities mm-hmm. and like put together a food drive for the community, which was needed based on, you know, anecdotal stories from families and, you know, whatever. But the way in which I went about it, I didn't bring anybody from the community into it. Right. Just put it together, put it out there. People benefited from it, mm-hmm. yes. And could I have reached more people or would it have looked differently if I wasn't the face of it, and yeah. it was, or or I was collaborative with the community leadership? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I look back at that moment early on in my career and you know, I remember feeling like really great about myself mm-hmm. and knowing I did a great job. Yeah. And I did that and... I caused harm. Mm. Like I didn't include them. Yeah. I assumed what I knew what they needed, even down to the types of food that we were donating. Mm-hmm. So I think 
that is one of the first questions I ask myself is, is this going to be helpful? And secondly, am I the right person for that? Okay. Yeah. Right. Like in my identity and in what I bring to the space and how much space I can take up, Mm -hmm. is it right for me to be doing that? Or do I need to be in partnership or collaboration with somebody in the community that I'm trying to reach or serve? Whether it's the student community, whether it's a community of color or trans folks or non-binary folks, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, is this my space to do that? Gotcha. Gotcha. Totally get that. Now, moving forward into your career, Mm -hmm. and I've read your um, uh, LinkedIn a little bit as well, and leveraging those experiences that you've had and those skills that you developed. Now we're in the age of Blue Lotus. Mm -hmm. So moving into that space, first of all, becoming your own employer, becoming your own business. um, What were your hopes? What were your initial goals or visions when developing this business? So my my initial my initial goal was to start really really small because yeah. I was kind of scared, which mm-hmm. I would assume a lot of us as entrepreneurs or business like startups 100%. feel like that, right? Oh, yeah. Like um, also like I never envisioned this for myself because as a social worker and a social work student and and even many of us in the mental health community know that we're not really taught that this is a thing that we can do. Yeah, and like there's no business classes in social work school. Like it is maybe not for profit leadership mm-hmm. um, and things like that, but yeah. not be your own boss type. So nobody really knows, which is why I say we're always all learning as we go. Nobody really has perfected the perfected it, you know, yeah. like there's no arrival point to it. So anyway, so it wasn't really something I thought about. So I thought, OK, let me start like super, super small. Mm-hmm. And one of the needs I noticed here in North Carolina in general is people who are just graduating from social work school get like an initial license. So I said, okay, let me just do supervision work. Yeah. That's educational. Yeah. You know, people need that. Mm-hmm. I could do like one or two clients. It's sure. not a big deal. So that was like the, the little toe dip in like 2019. And I had like two clients, I think mm-hmm. and that was great. Yeah. There was, there were people I worked with at UNC Charlotte when I worked there, they were my grad students. They're great human beings. I was able to help them, whatever. And then I wanted to do trainings and I, just didn't launch it. I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't have the energy. I don't know. So then everything was like dormant. I didn't do anything. I okay. didn't have any supervision clients, but I still had the PLLC, which is what we need as mental health practitioners. And then the pandemic hit and I was working at um, Johnson and Wales as a clinical social worker and mm-hmm. I was the director of counseling. And I was like in burnout zone Mm. right before the pandemic hit I was like questioning if I wanted to be a therapist anymore I was just exhausted all the time um very very much overworked there was such a high demand and just not enough sure yeah and my staff right um so when the pandemic hit and everybody had to go home many of our students were from out of state and I'm not sure if your audience knows but many of us you need to have a multiple licenses so Mm -hmm. I'm only licensed in North Carolina so I can't do mental health treatment with someone who lives in Michigan, for example. Right. So it's a private school. So many of our students like left the state Yeah. and my caseload went from huge to almost nothing. Mm. And I had <clears throat> a kid at home getting homeschooled yeah. through Zoom and that was a hot mess. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I, someone said to me once, you know, I want to refer a client to you. And I was like, that's great, but I don't, I don't have a private practice. Right. She was like, you should. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, I should. What a thought. 
(laughs) (laughs) Why didn't I think of this? (laughs) So I'm very fortunate that um, I have a colleague who is a friend and a mentor and he has a private practice and he was willing to like send me all of his like checklists that he used to start up because I Mm -hmm. had no idea where to start. Oh, yeah. No clue. Yeah. And it's so layered and especially for mental health world and all of our licenses are different. Mm -hmm. You have to go through your state board yeah. and like do all this stuff. So anyway, so he was so gracious and helped me with the startup of it, which I try to pay forward as much as I can with people starting out as well. And yeah. I've had lots of like free consults and coffee meetings and mm-hmm. whatever with people just to talk about it and yeah. help them and stuff. So And isn't it funny how friends seem to have like this more obvious gaze of us than we do? Yes. It's like, <laughs> duh. Why aren't you why, why haven't you been doing that? I mean This seems so obvious, Nicole. What's going on? Yeah. And I'm so thankful her name is Kenya. I'll, I'll shout her out. She, <laughs> she was, um, at that time, was the one of my, um, I've always made it a point in, to pay forward also in my in the social work field. So mm-hmm. I always would take graduate students yeah. and um, help them because it's, it's called field placement. And so she was one of my field placements mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit. So she had the benefit of some in-person work and then we had to switch. So, mm. um, but she became a friend and she was the one that said, I have, a, I have a client that would be great for you. And I was like, yeah, but that's not just, that's not what I do. And she's like, well, you should. And I'm yeah. like, oh. <laughs> so honestly, it was just that she was the catalyst. That yeah. statement was the catalyst. And I was in this place already of I have to do something different. I yeah. cannot go back to the university. I cannot go back to the same environment that mm. was draining me. Yes. I wasn't able to show up. I wasn't even able to show up for my students in the way that I really wanted to. Yeah. And I think for many of us, no matter what field you're in, when you feel like you're only able to give 100% of 40% yeah, and then have nothing left after that mm-hmm. for your other life, and right. the hats you wear and roles you assume, it's just it's just not worth it. Yeah, um, 100%. And we're stuck in it sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, for too long. So when she said that, it was just this dislodging in my brain of this like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, I could do this, like, and I could make more and work less yeah. and like have more time for my son and his interests and you know, whatever. Like you hear someone pull the little chain on the, on the light bulb. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It was so, it was just this, I was like, Oh, um, so then I, yeah. So then I started the process of getting set up yeah. um, based on my friend's checklist mm-hmm. and, um, which made it super easy to figure out. Um, dealing with insurance companies is not super easy. Oh at yeah, all. the word insurance I think just kind of overall makes people very nervous. Oh god, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. And I know a lot of therapists nationwide are either moving away from accepting insurance or just not doing it. Okay. And I made the conscious decision because of the target core population I want to be able to serve and work with. I need to accept insurance. Yeah. Um, and so it's a necessary evil. Um, Honestly, it sucks, but um, <laughs> I didn't want to be limiting um, because we're not in a place yet where mental health care is a priority, right? And a, it's still a privilege, not a right, yeah, right. So I want to make sure that my service was as accessible as possible to right. the people I wanted to serve. So gotcha. I went through all the grueling applications and months and months of waiting, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, I was still working at the university, even though it was remote. Yeah. And, holding space for part-time practice in the evenings and weekends with a couple of trainings that I was doing virtually here and there, which I really enjoy, and and then still working at the university. Mm. And I got to a place where I was like, I can't breathe. Yeah. Like, I have to 
launch this practice full time or I'm going to have to step it back and just know that it's part time yeah. and do what I'm doing. Right. So right. I got to that place. Um, I would say March ish or so of um, 2020. And then I made the decision that I was going to finish out the school year and set them up as best I could. Yeah. And then in June of 2020, I launched the full time. And it was terrifying because mm-hmm. I didn't have enough clients yet. Yeah, right. 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 hundred percent. Absolutely terrifying. But be that as it may, <laughs> shout out to Kenya for saying what she said. Yes. Kenya, it was Kenya, right? Kenya, yep. Way to go, Kenya. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. But no, knows. and I totally get I totally get that too. I've I've in my career, I've had titles like director of marketing, communications manager, things like that. And they're fun positions for a creative, but I've always found myself outside of work helping podcasters or like other content creators decide on their kinds of content, helping them figure out production tricks, things like that. Mm. And then when I had lost a position in August of last year, I had a friend, shout out to <laughs> to Tracy, say, Brandon, you've been consulting people for like seven years. Yeah. Why don't you just become a consultant or like develop a consultancy business. I'm like, I'm like, you're like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? No. Why didn't I think of that? But in doing that, and this brings me to a topic that you, you address in your trainings through Blue Lotus is the horrendous phenomena known as imposter syndrome. Oh God, yes. And, <laughs> and what, what a phenomena it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love that you, and again, loving the, not only the overall work that you do, but like the fact that you do address this and how, and limiting and how kind of self-sabotaging it can be. Yes. Talk, tell me about your perception of imposter syndrome and how you go about, without giving away too many of your secrets, <laughs> um, how you go about helping people to like, to circumvent it yeah. in their, in their lives. Yeah. Uh, well, first i I, I believe there are certain things that we can't necessarily circumvent and we rather need to coexist with. Okay, so, okay. Um, imposter syndrome is one of them. Burnout is another one. Mm-hmm. I mean, just life burns us out sometimes. And Preach. Whenever, we, whenever I see trainings that are like, how to avoid burnout, I'm like, it's just setting people up to fail. Yeah, okay. So, I'm, so there really isn't an avoidance of the imposter I call it the imposter voice because it lives in all of our minds Uh and it looks differently for all of us. And they're never invited. No, they're never invited. But they, but they found a spot. (laughs) They don't pay rent, but they always have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things in both my work as a therapist and then in the trainings that I do about imposter syndrome, I reframe it as the voice. And I also try to reframe it from the origin story for each of us as, as individuals not just based on our life experiences, but also based on our identities in the world, um, how we interact in systems. You know, so for example, imposter voice may look very different for some of my colleagues who identify as black and brown because the systems that they grow up in yeah. are oppressive and teach them differently yes. than us as white folks, yes. right? So the voice may be similar, but the origin of it may look very different. Mm-hmm. And so the unlearning and the reframing internally is very different. Yeah. So... Um, so one of the things that, and, and full transparency, this is something I worked on in therapy myself with my amazing therapist who serves other therapists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we still, we still work on it, but it's not as loud. And so my goal with people is always to, to teach like, okay, so where does it come from? 
right? Like whose voice is it? Yeah. Because it becomes ours as adults, but it That's almost, a good question, though. Right? Like it almost never starts as an adult. Right. Almost never. I guess it right. could, but... So um, my thoughts are like, you know, is it a coach? Is it a teacher? Mm -hmm. Is it someone who told you you couldn't like parent, like whatever. Yeah. And it's not to villainize or knock them in any way, but it doesn't usually exist independently. Yeah. yeah. So I think sometimes really digging back into that and understanding it and really approaching it with this radical self-compassion because it is a protective factor, even though sometimes it's really freaking loud and mean. Right. But it's really telling you, like, don't do this because you're not going to do it mm-hmm. well. You're going to be disappointed. You might be embarrassed or humiliated, like, whatever. Right. And so, yeah, it sounds awful. Yeah. And it's still trying to protect you from some perceived harm. Mm-hmm. So I think anybody that is anything that tries to protect us is worthy of digging in a little bit more with. Yeah. And coexisting with. So you'd say it's something that tends to stem from reason, but kind of tends to expand outside of reason. I think so, yeah. And that's and that's the point at which we start hearing it is when it's yeah. already gone past those boundaries of you had you served an initial purpose, but right. you're right. out here now. Right. What are you doing out here now? Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think as 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 it manifests in 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 us as adults, I mean the the original imposter syndrome came from studies done with particularly women who were very sort of high achieving and didn't the more that the the people who I, I can't think of their names right now, of course, but like the more that they dug into the research, the mm-hmm. more they realized that many of the people that they were, I think there was like a hundred or two hundred women that they talked to about this, that they had already had pretty high accomplishments. Yeah. So there really wasn't a lot of evidence to support mm-hmm. the imposter or the fraud like piece. Yeah. So where did it come from? Mm. Right. And that's true for many of us as well. Like if we really step back or, or if you give your resume to someone else or Tracy and Kenya telling us like, right. um, of course you can do this. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> this is what I see in mm-hmm. you. Can you live in my head? <laughs> right. Can, can you switch out the tenants, please? Like, <laughs> right. Your lease is up. <laughs> so for a lot of people, and, and this is not true, obviously with students who are just starting out. Cause I certainly, I mean, it can certainly happen to anybody, right? but you don't always have evidence to support necessarily mm-hmm. that you can do these things. Um, and I think it doesn't necessarily matter if you don't have the evidence. We have to be able to coexist with that internal voice that tells us no. Yeah. Because it's not really giving us a reason. Right. Um, so it's almost like, I don't know, logic testing internally. Gotcha. Yeah. But you also mentioned, so burnout as something that can't be circumvented, but you got to learn to live with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that... I mean, there's this hustle culture mentality, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I just, we started off talking about how I'm, I still fall into that trap of mm-hmm. overbooking. Yeah. And uh, I've seen so much literature, especially since the pandemic, uh, about, you know, hustle culture being a badge of honor and, you know, people being so proud of us when we're overbooked. Yeah. And like, oh, business is great. Yes. And I'm exhausted. So how, how is it really serving me? How am I really able to serve others? If yeah. I'm exhausted all the time because I have to feel like I have to be at a 10 when really I should just be able to be at a five, six kind, right. of, kind of space Yeah, because I'm not just a business owner and a therapist, right? Like I have all these other parts of me that need that yeah. energy. Right. So I think burnout is something that until we fix our systems to make it much more worker friendly yeah. and like 
compassionate and understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in jobs, which I'm sure we all have this kind of a story. Like I, yeah. I had a job once where I literally, this was back when I was living in New York City, I literally had like 102 fever and still got on the train, two trains to go Oof. to work to show up there Oof. because I needed my boss to say, oh my God, you look like shit, you should go home. Oh man, oh man. Because we were in a space where we were understaffed and overworked and yeah. I would have like eight clients in a day and there was no space to put them because I'd be booked out for months. Right. And then, so canceling clients because you're supposed to sacrifice yourself for your clients and always show up was not okay. Right. Yeah, so not, not a thing. I saw two two sessions, went home, and had anxiety the whole day about yeah. how I'm probably going to need to be off the next day. Yeah. So do I got to get back on the train and show up and have her send me home right. again? Ooh. And how long were those train rides? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, depending on New York City Transit, shout out New York City Transit. But uh, it just it would depend. Sometimes yeah. it was three trains, yeah. which would actually get me there sooner, which made no sense to me. And you're already in 102 fever mode. So it's oh like anything's going to feel perpetually longer. Yes. On top of, oh, my goodness. No, yeah. two train rides. Yeah. Ooh. And it's just indicative of the the kind of that inner pressure and it and this was an this was an environment where it was directly stated yeah but think about all the environments where it's implied mm-hmm. um which sometimes is fed by our inner voice telling right us like you're not good enough you have to prove things you have to show up extra yeah. and do more and again that's also tied to identity and stuff like mm-hmm. that right so yeah so i think burnout for right now is something that we we can't necessarily prevent, although we can put things into place that help mitigate the impact. Sure. Yeah. Right? Like take your time off. Yeah. Or four day work weeks. Four day work weeks. Um, what a glorious world this will be when we finally catch up to that. Something, yeah. Where, where it's not four <laughs> tens either. Right? right. Like where you're not still expected to do 35 to 40 hours in right. those four days. Right. That won't really help. It won't much. help. No. So the yeah. turnover rate will spike. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. Oh, man. I think many of us walk around in different. I mean, I look at burnout as kind of a spectrum. Sure, right? yeah. So, I mean, I think many of us walk around in burnout a lot of the time. Yeah. And it may vary week to week, day to day. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on your your life and what yeah. else you have going on. Um, there's different types of burnout. Right? Yeah. There's like work burnout. There's parenting burnout, sure. which nobody wants to talk about, but we should. Yeah, should we love our kids, but can, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a lot. But and becoming a parent doesn't make you an endless font of mental, emotional, and physical energy. No, right, absolutely. Like, if anything, it just causes those things to kind of wear down a bit quicker right. on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. Right. And granted, I'm not a parent, but I pay attention to mine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you walk tired. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> right. Like, y'all, take vacation or something. Get that pool you've been talking about for, like, the past 20 years or something. Yep. Lord. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, I have this great developing question. I'm going to lose it here for a second, but I'll get back to it eventually. But time to plug a little bit more for you. So what what kind of person, or maybe that's not the right version of the question, or looking into your services, Blue Lotus, what should someone be looking for? What should they expect when exploring, one, your website, Mm -hmm. and also like what kind of solutions... What kind of problems should they be looking for solutions for when exploring Blue Lotus? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That may have been a weird whatever. No, yeah. I understood. <laughs> I was following. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I have the individual therapy work, um, which I think, you know, in general, when you're looking for a therapist, um, I provide free consultations. Many of us do. Yeah. 
I think you should interview us, right? Like make sure we're your fit. Mm -hmm. Don't just take the first person. Right. Unless that first person you feel energy with and that's good. It's a hard, especially if you've never been in therapy before, or if you've had negative experiences, it's a hard thing to do. Sure. To like yeah. Literally give your whole self to somebody who you don't know. Mm -hmm. So I very much appreciate people who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm interviewing a few therapists. I'll get back to you. I love Great. that. Love yeah. that. And so I encourage people to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't just work with the mental health and medical community and whatever I do. Um, I have no openings right now because I'm not overbooking, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in this moment. Right. Um, so the individual work varies for all of us. So definitely interview people. Mm -hmm. I'm happy also to help people get connected. I have a lot yeah. of, I, I do very intentional um, networking and outreaching. Yeah. And collaborative relationship building within the therapy community um, uh, in Charlotte and trying to expand more kind of statewide so I have more resources for people. Perfect. So awesome. I can always help with that. Um, the other side of my business that is one of my goals to really build up is that training and consultation space. Mm -hmm. um, I will be launching um, some of those trainings. Some of them are specific to clinical folks. Yeah, okay. And then I'm creating sort of the non-clinical layperson trainings for like imposter syndrome yeah. and burnout and things like that. Um, I'm going to be launching a whole self-love series soon of just sort of mini workshops that's for anybody. So I think the best thing to do is follow me on Instagram. Instagram, okay. Because that's where I'll be feeding a lot of that stuff. There'll be virtual options and in person if you're local to Charlotte. Mm -hmm. um, I also am happy to develop and create unique experiences and trainings for people. Um, All right staff, faculty, universities, anybody really. Yeah. Um, and again, that's another space where we can have a free consultation to talk about, like, yeah. am I that person for you? If I'm not, mm -hmm. I can help you get connected to someone who is. Yeah. Um, I don't pretend to be an expert on any of this. We're all a work in progress. We are, 100%. Um, so I'm I'm happy to to do those. I, I really love the teaching and training piece, mm -hmm. and um, I would really love to be doing more of that. And Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's basically it. So on my website, you'll see pretty much every page links you back to also communicating with me directly. Perfect. Um, you can, you can certainly reach out and request a consult about mm -hmm. something that you're thinking about, um, or that you feel like is a need in your specific community, whether it's your work community or I don't know, mom group or whatever. Sure. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. Now, is there any kind of like mailing list that people should be subscribing to for like when you send out updates? Yeah. So um, I, yeah, so when you open up my website, you will have access to a free mini journal to okay. help you with your imposter syndrome, All actually, right. which is really... Love that. Um, which is uh, a sort of mini version of the touch points of the training that I do about imposter mm -hmm. voice or syndrome. Um, and it asks for your email and I'm supposed to have, <laughs> <laughs> supposed to put out a... What is it? Uh, a newsletter. A newsletter. Just a, <laughs> e some kind of e-blast. Um, and so hopefully with being part of this co-working space, I'll have more headspace to figure that out. What yeah. that's going to look like. Right now, uh -huh. there's nothing going out yet. Okay. Because <laughs> so okay. I wanted to ask you, because if you're going to be doing a, a workshop on imposter syndrome, like, do you have like a ballpark date range or month range where you want to be launching that people should be aware of? Yeah, I'm probably... Um, so I'm also a dance mom. Okay. My son is in competitive dance. So All right. That's coming up, and that keeps me a little bit busy. So what styles? Hip-hop. Okay. 
he's awesome. He's doing two teams and a solo this year. So I'm super happy and proud and nice. excited. Um, but it also takes up a lot of weekends. So my goal sure, is to also yeah. try my best to make it accessible for mm-hmm. folks. I think sometimes after a long work day and many of us have crazy commutes and stuff like that, it's not necessarily something we want to be doing right. after work. Um, so I'm aiming for some Saturdays, um, likely in May. Gotcha. Um, I was going to say, hopefully your son has like an on off season. So yeah, we're <laughs> in on season right okay, now, right? <laughs> but <clears throat> it's, it's okay. We have three weekends in a row where he's in three different competitions and then a big break. Nice. And then, so in that break, I'm hoping to, um, get some of that out there for folks. All right. Go little man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm definitely gonna have to make sure to keep up with you because I want to know when those workshops are. Yes. hundred percent. Um, yeah, the Instagram is where I do a lot of it, but then, um, I, I make my own graphics and stuff like that. So it'll all be in there and people can share them and cool beans. That's all. And so. I did recall what I was going to ask before. So um, I've gotten to speak with a couple, a number of different business owners on, on the show before. And I've come across this realization recently because I, I noticed the couple that I've spoken to prior to, to, to this episode, they always seem to be working like during the evenings, during the weekends. And I've, <laughs> I've actually cornered like Garrett, who owns Huga, like, how are you working? Yeah. It's Saturday at three o'clock. What are you right. doing? <laughs> You're taking the trash out. Um, and uh, in speaking with the, my previous guest, there's, I had this realization that it seems like going back to when you mentioned like giving hundred percent of 40% mm-hmm. in this kind of day to day nine to five world, it seems like that mindset seems situational. Yeah. Talking to a couple of these previous individuals, they it's the, and I've kind of tried to confirm with them that the mindset when you get to move into this position such as yourself, it kind of melts away and that bandwidth seems to expand. Would you say that you've ex- you're you're beginning to experience anything like that? Similarly? Oh, I totally experience that. So Yeah. I have these like semi rules in my mind about mm-hmm. <laughs> about the type of work I'm like allowing myself to engage in. Yeah. Like my client work, my one-on-one client work is strictly between the hours of like 10 and four. Uh-huh. Um, and that's predominantly because I need to be accessible to my son. So like I pick him up from school sure. and then we yeah. go do our dance thing and yes. whatever. But like during the dance, I'll take my laptop sometimes to a Starbucks uh-huh. and I'm working on the trainings, yeah. or developing content or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I won't respond to client inquiries or emails after a certain mm-hmm. time allocating yourself properly right. right but i'm okay with like making the graphics for a week sure. to put on planally so mm-hmm. that it like you know one a day comes out or whatever on my instagram like right. i'm okay with doing that kind of stuff it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the same type of brain power and i also recognize that in myself that i don't necessarily have a all the way end to the day like you do when you work for someone else right more or less um which is one of the things that i'm trying to kind of rein in a little bit and understand better of sure you know can i just be off right right like how can i make that happen the other pieces because of insurances we have to do a lot of notes and mm-hmm. paperwork and documentation and um it's the the worst part of all of our jobs we all <laughs> right. doing it and I have to do it. Um, and so sometimes that spills over into weekend work um, just because I may be too tired during the week or mm-hmm. whatever, but it has to be done by a certain time. Yeah. So um, I think it's about balance Yeah. and it, and I've spent a lot of time in my inner, my own personal work mm-hmm. redefining 
productivity and like what does that look like for me? Mm, yeah. And what did it look like before? What are what were the expectations? And now right. I can create my own work culture mm, for myself. Yes. Um so it's a lot of unlearning though, because mm. again, we're told like the more you work, the better person you are. Right. And we're fixated, we're we're not obviously, but we end up being shifted into this concrete mindset of hundred percent or forty percent. Yeah. During the nine yep. to fives. Yep. But yeah. Yeah. Goals for me, like bandwidth goals. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. <laughs> trying to get to a hundred percent like that. Well, and it's hard. It's a hard inner balance because I mean, frankly, if I don't work, I don't get paid anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. So as self-employed people, we all get that and there's no sick time. Right. Like that is a benefit. Sure. You know, certainly for working for somebody else yeah. who, who can give that to us. And it doesn't mean that, I need to push myself to the point of like being a 10 on my inner burnout scale. Right. <laughs> like, well, and that's another good question too. You know, when, when it comes to the kind of work that you do, where it is um, where you have those clients who are more clinically oriented, who and, and, and where all the insurance and whatnot comes in for you and your work. But when you, uh, if, and when you decide, you know what, I should have a week of not at all engaging in it. Yeah. You know, again, like you said, that's a benefit of working for, a corporate company yes. where they allot you a certain number of POT hours. Yeah. Um, but for but for someone in your position who is self-employed, whose workload is self-determined, mm-hmm. how do you then determine that like maybe a couple days a week of just non-engagement to really yeah. make sure you come back refurbished? Yeah. It's so hard. It, it is really hard. Honestly, it's really hard to do that. So one of the things I do is my Monday, for example, is three clients. So three hours of client contact work. Yeah. Cause I don't, uh, you know, this is one of the areas that, um, I think for folks who are not in the helping profession, um, and even if you've received therapy, there's not, I mean, I'll tell you, we have to bring a lot of mental energy to be present and focused right. to give of ourselves. So mm-hmm. it may feel easy and conversational. That's typically my style as a therapist and I'm working constantly in my brain mm-hmm. to show up in a way that's helpful. Right. So, when I have days with like the three clients, for example, my brain is pretty cool. Like I'm good. Right. I can't just work with three clients every day though. Right. Um, so the days that I have more, um, so I just try to look at it that way. Um, honestly, like Monday, yeah. Friday is lower level clients, mm-hmm. lower amounts of clients rather. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I pack them in a little bit more. Sure. <laughs> um, but it is it is hard to find the balance because there'll there'll be times where I'll have to tell friends like I can't talk on the phone like I'm talked out yeah I can't talk anymore I've talked all day <laughs> I don't want to hear my own voice anymore <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody else talk yeah <laughs> um, I we could text that's fine um, so that's something to to as part of like my self care is just yeah. really being able to like verbalize and vocalize my needs in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even friends who or family members who like might need support. I have to be honest sometimes and say like, I can't hold that space right now. Sure. I'm, I'm kind of tapped out. Exactly. Yeah. When you're tapped out, what, what could you possibly offer? Right. And it's not to say that that's not the kind of person you are, but it's like, if right. I don't have anything else to give, what yeah. if, I, if I try to give something in this state, it may not be good quality. It may exactly. not help you out at all. Exactly. Mm. So if I'm redefining what productivity looks like for me, and that's sort of an ongoing redefinition in how I assess and evaluate what my needs are as a, as a 
employee of myself and like right. business owner. The other side of it is really understanding what my self-care needs are. Yeah. Right. And self-care has become this like she-she term that we all use and it's become commodified and whatever. But the reality is sometimes my self-care is like <laughs> binging 90 day fiance on my couch while hey. there's dishes in my sink still. Hey. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> like on a bad day, you're going to catch me binging like ugly Betty or like <laughs> mom or something like that on Hulu because I need a break. Right. <laughs> I right. need to not have to think. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's hard for people to just be still sometimes. And that yeah. was true for me too for a long time. Yeah. And not have this voice come up, which is part of that imposter voice that yeah. tells you that you're not allowed to rest. Like mm. you should be doing things. Right. Like um, my my friends and clients who are parents, like some, some of us tell ourselves, well, like, you know, I want to make memories of my child, but I'm exhausted. So you push yourself and you go anyway mm -hmm. or do something anyway, which sometimes we have to do. Totally get that. And is it serving the purpose you want it to serve? Right. Like, is it is it okay to just make popcorn and sit on the couch and watch a movie? Right. And have, like, your phone down mm -hmm. and your full attention on your child in that moment. Right. Like, is that okay? Mm -hmm. can, can that be enough for you rather than having to do this big extravagant thing, which we're, we're always trying to kind of do this extra work on and we just mm -hmm. maybe don't need to do that all the time. Right. So. So true. So true. Well, I am going to be keeping an eye out for when those workshops are. Yes. Because I know I can't give this little voice in my head an eviction notice because they live there. Yes. But we can figure out what the hell their issue. Exactly. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> what purpose did you think you were serving nine, nine years ago? Exactly. Because you got lost in translation at some point. Exactly. A good place so, to start is that mini journal on my website. So. Okay, perfect. The mini journal, check it out. It's going to be up. Yes. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to recall the... Um, it's okay. The um, what's the words for it? The, the acronyms that, that come at the end of your name. So it's Blue Lotus uh, Clinical and Consultation Services. Yep. So the, but web the, the website. The website is bluelotusccspllc.com. That thing. And Instagram and is at Blue Lotus CCS. Perfect. So check it out on Blue Lotus yeah. on Instagram. Keep up with her there. Check out the mini journal on her website. Get some thoughts on how to figure out where that voice comes from for you. I was so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you again for joining me on a Saturday. Thank you. And I know you got some coffee in your view in your future. Yes. And we need to talk about some places you got to, you got to start exploring for that coffee. Yes. Because yes. I got the deets and yeah. I need to share them with you. Absolutely. Please do. I need, I need all the coffee in my life. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and when we do, the, and we're, I'm going to try to make sure I can get to one of those workshops and then we're going to have you back on again. Awesome. And we're going to talk about it. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us today. Thank you again, Nicole, for hopping on Thank with me you. today. And we will see you next time on Casual Babble.